Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by SGX coach Joseph Bautista. Joseph and I had a great conversation today regarding rope climbs. Not only how do we train rope climbs when we have a rope, but more importantly, how do we train rope climbs when we don't have a rope? How do we work on that technique and the skills and the strength required to get rope climbs when we don't have a rope available to us? Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you will find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Hey racers, what's going on? I'm super excited to get on here today and talk with SGX coach, Joseph Bautista. Um, gonna have a great conversation around rope climbs and all these situations that cause a lot of us to struggle when climbing or maybe even just when training with our climbing because we may not have a rope even accessible to us. How's it going, Joseph? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Sorry about that technical difficulty. <laughs> all good, all good. It happens. <laughs> so uh, I'm really happy to be meeting up with you guys, all you resilient OCR racers. And, uh, you know, Brianna asked me, how do I do everything and get prepared for doing so many different races without all of these tools? And one of the main tools that Brianna wanted to know is, yo, tell me about the rope climb. And... You know, the rope climb is something that I I, uh, I I hold near and dear to my heart. It was one of the first obstacles that my daughter, who is also a younger Spartan, she absolutely just, Daddy, can I climb the rope? Daddy, can, can I climb the rope? And so the reason why it's so close to my heart is, you know, Albert Einstein had one of the best philosophies that said, if you cannot describe it to a child, you do not understand it very well. So my daughter wanted to climb the rope. What did I do? I went and learned how to teach someone how to climb the rope. After she got up, now you got my, uh, I think she's about three feet now. So <laughs> she's kind of growing pretty fast. But uh, now we race on rope climbs together. And she's That's got awesome. an advantage. She's way lighter than me. <laughs> weight, weight will always play a factor when you're climbing. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. So let's kind of dive in first. And I kind of, I first want to talk about the, pe the people who can climb a rope, but when it's just not those perfect conditions, so maybe their grip is worn out because it's towards the end of the race or their hands are wet because it's just a rainy, muddy course. Like, what can we do in these situations to make sure we're not going to lose our grip and fall off the rope? Well, if, if anybody has uh, actually gotten a chance to see some of the new rules, no form of chalk is allowed on the course. So mm -hmm. that would be the immediate go-to because that would immediately give you a little bit more drier hands and it would give you more contact. It, it would also prevent a lot of abrasion from that rope as well, You know, especially when you're coming down. But um, it, it's going to come down to the training. But the number one thing to kind of reduce the amount of tension on your grip strength uh, goes with the footlock. And then the number two is your ability to fold your body from your core, right? So being able to compact your body allows a lot less pull. It's the same weight. 
it is the same weight, but the weight difference changes. For instance, if you have a dumbbell that is 20 pounds versus a kettlebell that is 20 pounds, that kettlebell at 20 pounds is going to feel heavier because the weight is further away from the contact or the grip point. Whereas with a dumbbell, the weight is closer. So what we want to do in our rope climbs, no matter the footlock you have, what we want to do on the rope climb is we want to compact and make our body as small as possible. The longer our body is, the more weight that is pulling away from that leverage point. The more compact we are, the less the weight is pulling. The weight is still there. So if you can hold your weight for any number of seconds, so like if you're doing hangs in your practice and you can have, and you have a 15, 20, anywhere in that range of a second hang, you're in the you're you're in a safe zone for climbing the rope. It's a matter of timing for the other components. Awesome. So to make ourselves smaller and work on that timing, like what does that mean? Make ourselves smaller exactly. You want to compact yourself as as tight as possible. So if you've ever uh, been on the ground on your back and you're looking on you know core strength or just any meat. Uh, you want to fold your body in like accordion. One of the best exercises for that, just to get an idea, is a double crunch, right? And that's where your hands are here and you're bringing your elbows in and you're bringing your knees in and you're compacting and you're bringing them all together. Essentially, when you're climbing, climbing a rope, you're doing that same movement. Well, the problem with that is that doesn't get you to compact and fold in, but that brings your knees and your elbows together. That's one piece, right? How do we fold? Well, we want to do movements that allow our spine to go into flexion. And we've seen them as V-ups. Uh, you know, we've seen them as toes to bar, any of those types of movements. Toes to bar would be the progression of a V-up uh, as, as far as unfolding in half because you're hanging and lifting. Uh, but the V-up itself, that's your, that's your number one go-to. If you want to practice com uh, compacting your body from the core, meaning drawing that belly button in and folding in half and getting your knees as high to your chest as possible, it starts with the V-up. If you need to work on the repetitions in order to gain the knees to the elbows, then you want to do a double crunch. So here's a great way to add these two movements that will, you know, for lot, for, uh, for aesthetic sake, everybody wants to work on their core. Hey, here's a good reason why we're throwing them in our program. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, like, Yes, making ourselves more compact is less weight hanging down, but at the same time, too, you have to do a lot fewer pulls when you make yourself compact and bring those legs up. It's a difference, you know, of maybe like three pulls compared to seven or eight. Well, that is exceedingly true because the climb on the rope, it is not actually the hands. Your climb is your feet. It's your footlock. And the, the, you see the people that struggle the most are the ones who are not getting their feet up high enough. So they have to use their hands. So uh, that reiterates backwards to when you said, how do we protect that grip? You got to use your footlock and your footlock has to be sound. Now, it, obviously, that's kind of drumming up some questions right now. Which footlock is the best? <laughs> that is that that is going to be just like whether a person is right handed or left handed. OK, it is going to be secular to you. Okay. Every individual has their own preference. I know a lot of people who like an inside S hook. I know some people who like the outside S hook. Here's the number one rule I tell you. As long as you're on the rope and you can move up fast and not stay too long, that's the lock for you. Awesome. 
with that said, do you feel just with what you've coached over the years, do you feel one is more efficient than the other? Efficiently is, is dependent on the user. However, the S hook, the S lock, it allows you to move faster because you do not have so much of the rope attached to you. But the S hook is far more secure. Okay. Okay. Right. So, uh, and everybody is going to have their interview. Well, I feel very, a lot more secure on the S. Well, okay, great. That's your, that's you being efficient. That doesn't mean, that doesn't state the fact that you have less rope wrapped around you to reduce tension onto the foot. When you wrap your leg around the rope for the S, you are essentially applying more of that tension into the leg while the rope is uh, wrapped around it. And then you're securing the lock final from the foot. So that way there's less tension in the foot to secure that lock, right? So essentially that tension is dispersed along the entire leg. On the S, you only have that wrap around the bottom of your foot. Do you mean on the J? I'm sorry, on the J. I apologize. Yes. Uh, I'm backwards on my letters. <laughs> but yeah, the J, you have less. You have less less contact on the rope. So therefore, it makes it, it makes uh it makes it more faster because because you have less contact, you don't have to fiddle faddle with it as much. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. If we so someone who's maybe just starting out or maybe not starting out but still struggles on the rope because they don't have a gym to train at with a rope, what are some ways they can start learning those either of the footlocks without having a rope available, or can they? Uh. You can. There's a, there are a good number of core exercises. The, you can, you can take them from jujitsu. Uh, in jujitsu, they have a move. They, where basically you are on your back and you're doing a hip heist. You're throwing your hips up. You're kicking one leg up and you're wrapping one leg under and you're going to tuck the other leg down. Now, reason why that that's important is because you're treating your legs as separate, almost like another set of arms. When you practice using your legs like another set of arms instead of always having pressure on them, you start to realize that when you're climbing the rope, you have your legs and your arms, not your legs or your arms. Uh, much like I tell a lot of people in clinics when, I, when I'm having clinics is I said, I want you to treat your arms and legs as if you are an octopus. An octopus does not have legs and arms. An octopus has tentacles, meaning that each tentacle can do just about anything that the other one can. So we want to treat the, uh, the our body is very similar to that. There's uh, also um, you see them you've seen them sometimes uh, in a dead bug position where you're on your back and knees are up, rotating your legs from the knee. You, you basically want the concept here is you want to start to treat your legs uh, as opposable limbs, just like your arms. Granted, the grip is not 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 intensified like ours do, uh, like our hands do, and then you have the thumb to lock it over. But you can still treat the knee, the limbs from the knee and hip down in a larger amount of movement like your arms. That allows you to be more secure and move in your foot locks a little bit more faster rather than trying to fiddle foul. That's if you don't have a rope. Obviously, the rope is going to give you a sensitivity of touch that you need to replicate. And just and to answer you on that one, yes, you can get a rope that doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to practice that. You can get one at Home Depot. This is a one-inch manila. Very similar to the kind of ropes that we have uh, at the races. Um, and I actually, I kind of want to go backwards onto that one too, just so everybody knows. The rope climb is a multiple attempt obstacle. 
Okay, it is not a pass or fail. It is a multiple attempt. You can go up, and if you only go up halfway, you can take a break and try again. You do not have to burpee out of it. It is not an all or nothing. You know, so don't ever think that you going up the rope. Now, yes, it can be defeating when you've made it like three quarters of the way or you've made it like you're like right there. There's a hair away. You go to swing and you're reaching for that bell and you just miss it. It, it can be, you know, mentally defeating at that component. But this is where you as a Spartan or even as an athlete need to rise up to yourself and put that put, put that gut in check swallow your pride because it's no longer about your pride it's about the goal of the obstacle and completing and just get your butt back up there and make that second attempt you are allowed multiple attempts i'm really going to keep reiterating that you, the only person that fails is the one that gives up now if you're just not prepared an attempt couple of attempts i personally believe in the in the rule of three if you try three times like fully really try three times and you're just not there yet what you want to take at, take away from that is hey here's an obstacle i've got to get some work on it's okay it's okay these obstacles are meant to test us these obstacles are meant to to challenge us these obstacles are meant to unveil certain parts of our bodies and abilities that we may be either neglecting or just not being conscious of it's okay. This is why you go back into the lab, which is your gym. You go back into the lab, which is maybe it's your home gym. You just go back into it and you go, what went wrong? How do I fix it? Definitely. I love that. And it's a good reminder because I'm, I'm one of them too. I forget like which obstacles are multiple attempt, which ones aren't at times. And so it's a good reminder just to throw out there that the rope is a multiple attempt one. You know, it used to not be. Uh, originally, it was a single attempt obstacle, and it came down to a little bit more. It was that pride on being a single attempt obstacle that people just kept it at that. And I I've had my fair share of rope climb fiascos, too. Uh, Tahoe of 2016, I believe, um, made it out of the, the, the dunk wall was just before the rope climb at the bottom of the hill. And I came out of the dunk wall dripping wet made it up to the rope and just as i went to go and hit the bell uh, i just my my grip was just not there i literally went down like this and the bell just kept getting further away and i extended my arm and the bell kept getting further away further away. and i literally could just feel like myself saying no i looked at it and i had so much pride eating at me at that time you know i get it i truly get it Awesome. Thank you for sharing that story as well. Uh, so every once in a while, I don't hear it real often, but every once in a while when people are learning climbs, I hear them talk about how it's just uncomfortable putting that pressure on their other foot to lock that rope in. I don't know if you, do you hear that much with people? Uh, uh, I have heard it before. Um, I've got a couple of one philosophy behind that, which a good amount of people are just not going to like is, Spartan the F up <laughs> because it's a rope and you know, you kind of, you're going to have to just deal with it. The other option is it can come down to, uh, it can come down to whether you're wearing compression socks or a sleeve to protect the ankle. It can come down to the type of shoe that you're wearing. It, it can come down to whether you're pressing the rope on top of the foot or you're actually, you have a pair of shoes that actually have 
the ridges uh, etched in, and it it can grip the rope, and you're pinching it at the uh, inside of the foot. Now, me personally, I actually don't hold the rope on top of my foot in my S-foot. And I also go up in much of like a butterfly. So when I come up and I compact my body, uh, I'm actually highly flexible in my hips. So I can actually open my knees really wide. When I do that, my feet can come higher without my knees having to come up. So I'm able to open up my hips a little bit more. Uh, if you can get that flexibility, which is not hard, for anybody, that can actually save you a bunch of time. And what ends up happening is my foot will come in and the arch of my foot will actually face the sky, face, up, face upwards. And then my foot presses down into that. So now I'm pinching it this way versus my foot being vertical and pressing the rope through here. Or what we sometimes see, the two, uh, the two uh, arches being pressed together. Now I want to be, uh, I want to let everybody know and be mindful of that. When you press the two arches together, it is easy for the rope to slide through the two arches. Okay, because the arches go in, they go in this oval shape and the rope is, uh, is cylindrical. So it is easy to be at that position, put the, the, the arches together, and then your feet still straight slide right down. You know, because we're, we're, put, we're, we're putting a shape that is smaller, which is the rope, in a hole that is bigger or at least doesn't match in the same dimension for the grip. Um, and, and so, so uh, just kind of like, that's just one thing I've seen before to let people be mindful of. Arches of the feet don't always work. Uh, I go inside, so my foot curves in. I press down on top of it like that. And then I climb with my arms. And then the easy thing with me on that is all I do is when I go back up the rope, I take that foot off and then just slides this foot back up. Because now the rope is, is basically wrapped around the arch of my foot. There's a hook that is keeping it aligned with my foot. I don't have to fish for it. I don't have to reach and find it. I know exactly where that rope is. So, And I keep that rope in my center line, so that actually helps me out a lot. I've taught this to a lot of my racers when we've been together. Uh, and if you, if you guys check a lot of the racers out that have worked with me, you see that that's a common pattern. And it moves a lot faster. Uh, and then we start changing what the goal is on that. Instead of, you know, just getting up the rope, it's okay. How fast can you get up? Now it's okay. How many footlocks or how few footlocks can you use to get up that rope? If it's a 15 foot rope, sometimes the race is at 15 or 20. Uh, normally they're 20, but that is the total height of the entire, uh, the entire rip is 20 feet. If we do the math, right? We really kind of put our mindset on this in the math. Uh, the average individual is about five, let's say five, four for ladies. Okay. Average racer, ladies, average male, five, eight, five, seven. Okay. So we've already taken off about, let's just say five feet of 20. So now there's only 15 feet left. The rope extends down with the bell roughly up from the top of the enclosure. Uh, the, the fixture about another foot and a half to two feet. So now there's about seven feet right there, right? Okay. We're doing the math here. The, pad is, 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 is two feet, right? It has to be because of the amount of cushion. So now we got nine feet. Technically, you're only climbing up 10 feet. Mm -hmm. Right? So you needing a 10-foot rope all the time? Not the case. Not the case. Uh, and and uh, training at, and, and I know the main concept of this is like training at home. Uh, so, I mean, I know you have a few questions about that. Yeah, definitely. 
And that, the biggest thing is just ways to train, which we covered a lot of, which just ways to train when we don't have a rope. Um, and I think you did cover a lot of that as far as just working on that tuck, doing V-ups or toes to bar, things like that. Um, and just really focusing on how to get that, ultimately the technique down to be able to climb it more efficiently without having that rope around. And, you know, there's a lot of times that it's more repetition and not difficulty. So what I mean by that is if you go and get yourself a simple rope like this, a nice vanilla one-inch rope, throw it over your shoulder while you're sitting into a chair, and all you do in this position is hold the rope here, and you're practicing your foot locks. Yeah, that was my foot. <laughs> if you're practicing your foot locks from something like this, you you don't have to worry so much about the grip strength because the repetition will allow you to teach you how to grab the rope, wrap it around, and then pull. You can feel this tension straight from your hand and feet. And it's a reverse direction tension than, you're, than we're used to because when you're hanging, it's all or nothing. When you're hanging, it's all or nothing. All of your weight is applied. And if all of your weight is applied and it's all or nothing, the amount of chances you have of success, they narrowly decrease. Okay, so then now you're working against now you're working against success in in lieu of difficulty. Uh, you know, this is a number one rule I have with a lot of people I work with. Difficult does not always mean better. Harder is not always better. There's a phrase I like to use, and it's kiss. And I've added a little a little little num name at the end. Keep it simple, Spartan. And you know, this reiterates backwards into like martial arts, right? A black belt is not a master of the martial arts. It's simply a master of the basics. Mm -hmm. And you see the people that are highly successful, they, they their training is, it's intense, but they built up to that, but it all still stems around basics. Okay, you know, not always hopping on an elliptic, uh, I'm sorry, a stair climber with a plate in one hand and you know, uh, and, a, and, a, and a ruck on their back, you know, while running really, really fast, it, that, that doesn't necessarily help you, okay? If it's a one-time stimulus demand, then yeah, that's, that's an option. If you're doing something like those extremes to prove to, for a cause or a purpose, whole different case, whole different case. If you're doing a race and you're wearing a ruck or you're wearing a metal plate vest and it's for a cause, um, you have my full support. But if you're just doing it to, to, to you know because of your pride, that's a whole other story, man. There's, there, there's, there can be a lot of underlying injuries, um, just like when you go through, you know, uh, your get your fix, right? You know, just because an individual uh, is doing these high-end things doesn't mean that they're not doing damage to their body. Yeah, and it goes right along with what I always talk about, which is the whole quality over quantity. You know, make sure your move if your movements are bad at 95 pounds, then with the barbell, go down to 65 and make your movements perfect. And and you'll always be better if you are actually working on that perfecting your movement rather than just, like you said, making it difficult. Yeah, and and yeah, and I've, I've done it before where I've written down to myself uh, just to kind of put myself in check. And like, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, how did that, how did that, how did those kettlebell swings look? Because, you know, Joey Bell's here. Um, I was like, how'd that kettlebell swing look? And I, I look at the video when I, when I watch it back and I'm like, your movement sucks. If I tell myself that, then I'm, then what I'm doing right there. And this, yeah, this is like, you know, tough love on myself. But if I put your movement sucks, then I need to ask, why does my movement suck? 
and that again, that's tough love. Not everybody should do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, my 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 one of my one of my five languages is not a uh, is not affirmations, so I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one of the reasons I film myself as much as I do in training for that reason. Like, where are my faults? Because you, you're, you feel like you're moving so differently than what the video actually shows. And the video doesn't lie. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, for all of you OCR racers and even those of you that are Spartan specific, remember this. What an SGX coach is, why some of us became SGX coaches, our main mission is not just to rip millions of people off the couch. It's to build better humans. That sums everything up very nicely. Just to close it out, anything, any just kind of main issues you normally or you see frequently with people you are coaching that we can kind of just cover? Uh, when it comes to the rope climb, you know, a, you know a, a repetition is key. And the repetition doesn't have to be the difficulty or replication of a race. Repetition is just simply mimicking things, uh, patterns, uh, things that, that will, the, the will that you need to do that coincide with the race. It's okay for it to be easy because if you become 1% better at something that is easy, then you become 1% better again and again. And then that 1% continues to grow. It's easy to multiply 1%. It's harder to multiply 10. It's harder to multiply 20. You know, it's harder to multiply 100% replication and environments. We can't, we just cannot, you know, that day is different. Maybe you ate, wait, uh, ate well, maybe you ate wrong. Maybe you got, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't use the restroom in time. Uh, maybe you got a rock in your shoe. Uh, there's a ton of circumstances that can affect an outcome. That is something that you probably do very easily. Don't worry about it, but just replicate, repetition, repeti sorry, <laughs> get repetitions <laughs> of the easy because then the easy becomes easier. Then add difficulty on top of that. Keep it simple, Spartan. Awesome. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Always a pleasure uh, working with you, Brianna. And uh, thank you, Resilient OCR uh, Racers. It's awesome helping you guys out. Uh, please feel free to ask anything away. Uh, I'm an eggshell. Crack it open and tons of things will come out. Awesome. Nice talking to you, Joseph. Have a good rest of your day. Aru. Aru. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.